been on mission trips with our church and uh, or other churches or organizations and you've you've felt the impact of that right not only have you been able to serve but you've grown yourself through these mission trips our teens had a chance many of them to go to Costa Rica before that we were in Guatemala before that Sri Lanka Ethiopia Mexico we as a local church have had some great opportunities to to do some of these trips and and uh, have an opportunity to connect with another country and with another culture and with uh, the church in different parts of the world and be encouraged. We've participated in construction projects and Jesus film showings and vacation Bible schools and medical clinics and door-to-door evangelism. We've always gone on these mission trips hoping that somehow we're going to help the people that we go to meet with and to serve. But we always return confident of the fact that we ourselves have been changed. That, that's uh, without a doubt. And some of you have been actually been inquiring recently, uh, and Deborah's probably the better one to talk about this, but I'm pretty sure there's some uh, trips in the works to Sun Valley, Arizona, actually next summer, uh, to work at a Sun Valley school there with the Native Americans. And that's kind of a, an opportunity for families to go and a less costly trip that many people can go and be a part of that experience. And then one out a little bit further, a trip to South Sudan that uh, you'll be hearing about, but that's still a ways out. I think winter of 2013 or so we're we're kind of tentatively looking at. But I've shared many times about my own experience with mission trips and kind of the transformation in my own life. I remember learning songs in Spanish as a teenager when I went on a trip myself to Costa Rica with my youth group and uh, singing. I, had, I didn't know Spanish really that great at the time, if at all, and I, I knew how to pronounce all the words, though. So we sang these songs in Spanish, and we didn't really know what we were saying, but the people responded, and uh, what a blessing that was. I remember acting out um, in pantomime uh, a drama that depicted the this, this story of the armor of God. Uh, from Ephesians, and I uh, remember acting that out on stages in city halls across southern Russia when I was in college, and uh, I, I was, the, I was the, the hero of the drama, and so I always got to banish the devil. It was awesome, and I just had Russians like cheering for me as I held the Bible up over the vanquished enemy. Um, I remember playing... Um, soccer with Somalian refugees and preaching to a group of Sudanese refugees. I remember sharing the good news of Jesus with kids after we'd played soccer, actually from the colors on the soccer ball in my very broken Spanish as the rain poured down on us. Uh, What a transformational and memorable experience. It'll stay with me for a lifetime. Now, there are other reasons why mission trips are also memorable. Um, and I actually kind of wanted to get to this, the, the food, right, the, the, the people, the customs, the language, the communication or lack thereof that may happen on the mission field. Um, and I've always remembered actually a, a list of some very helpful instructions that were given to our team before we went to Russia when I was in college. And they were given to us by a guy named Norm Shoemaker. And many of you have met Norm. He's been around here a little bit. And he called them the Ten Commandments of Mission Trips. And uh, to be honest, I can't remember all ten, but I can remember two for sure that have always stuck out in my mind and I think are very helpful for us as we think about mission trips and also just as we think about life. 
The first one was um, something that he said that was very helpful whenever we would find ourselves in strange or unexpected situations, which is pretty much all the time when you're on a mission trip. But it was simply this. He told us to say, or he told us that this was the command. Thou shalt always say, oh, that's different. Thou shalt always say, oh, that's different. Let's say it together. Oh, that's different. So when um, the translator, or, or I'm sorry, when the beet soup is cold and the drinking water is warm, um, when the Russian grandmother, the babushka, literally pets you as you eat her cucumbers and um, tomatoes, uh, as uh, when the host uh, whips you with a tree branch after you've sat in his sauna in his home, um, when the hotel security carries AK-47s and you get stared at as you walk down the street, um, those are perfect opportunities for you to say, oh, that's different. The other um, instruction or the other commandment that I always remember is simply this one. Um, Thou shalt always go with the flow. Let's say that together from the thou shalt. Thou shalt always go with the flow. When the schedule changes, again, um, when the translator doesn't show up, when the tools don't work, and the supplies are short, when you're tired and you just don't want to anymore, thou shalt always go with the flow. Well, believe it or not, mission trips are not a 21st century invention. They're not even a 20th century innovation or the 19th or the 18th. They stem back from biblical times. Can you believe it? And as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to read about a mission trip today that Jesus went on with his disciples. So Mark chapter 5 um, and uh, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to go ahead and read this. It's going to be on the screen, but uh, if you can stand with me as I read it, that would be great. Mark chapter 5, the Gospel of Mark. Remember, we're calling this series God on the Move. And indeed, we see God on the move through His Son Jesus in this, in this scene. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. At the end, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. You can say thanks be to God. It went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. 
Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. (laughs) And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Well, this story follows the story at the end of chapter 4. If you have your Bible, just keep it open. Um, That would be great. Sorry if you just closed it. (laughs) Open it back up. It follows the story at the end of chapter 4 where Jesus calms the, the stormy sea. He's in the boat with his disciples and he calms the stormy sea. And then it proceeds, it's just before the stories at the end there of chapter 5, kind of these dual stories that weave their way together where Jesus goes to heal the, the, the or he's going to actually heal and ends up raising the daughter of Jairus who has died, the 12-year-old little girl, raising him from the dead. But in the, on the way, he heals the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. And uh, these are, these are um, right in the middle of these stories is this story of the man possessed by demons. These are miracle stories that Mark has collected in this little section, end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, these miracles stories that he's collected, again, most likely based on the eyewitness accounts of the Apostle Peter, who would have been in each of these settings. To, and, and they're gathered here and shared to us in order to further reveal the identity of Jesus, tell us more about who he was, and to share with us about the nature of his mission. What what exactly had he come to do? What, what was he pulling off here? And last week we talked about the parables, right? And that was kind of the tell portion of Jesus' ministry. And this week we get the miracles, which was kind of like the, the show portion. I know that's backwards. It's supposed to be show and then tell. But Mark gave us tell and then show. And, uh, and show, in fact, he does. And in, in these stories taken together, we see some amazing things about Jesus. We see that he's one who is shown to have an ultimate authority over every power that the world could throw at him. Nature, no problem. Uh, 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 sickness, demon possession, even death. Jesus is like, bring it on. I am in authority over all these things. He is Lord over them all. It's Jesus who is shown in these verses to have amazing compassion. We see him extending himself lovingly to the people who are around him in in these scenes. And it's Jesus who is shown to call people out of their fear and into faith. We see that in just about every one of these stories. Someone is spoken of as being afraid. And Jesus calls them out of fear and into faith. Out of despair and into hope. And that's just what Jesus did for this man that we've read about here. Um, his disciples and, and he had gotten into the boat for a one-day mission trip. I mean, this was about as short-term as you can get. A one-day mission trip. It says they got in the boat and they crossed over to the other side and, uh, of the lake, the, the Sea of Galilee, into the region of the Gerasenes. And I can almost hear the disciples. I mean, if you listen really 
carefully. I'm sure you can hear him too. I can just hear the disciples as they landed on this other side of the lake. I don't know what Jesus had told them they were going to be doing. I don't know if he had said, hey, let's just go over to the other side of the lake and see what happens. You know, or, or hey, guys, it'll just be a day trip, really. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be wonderful. We'll have a picnic. Or, you know, I, I don't know what he had told them, but when they got there, I can just imagine hearing the disciples as the first thing happens as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, this wild man starts running at them from the tombs. And he's probably naked, and he's bleeding, and he's screaming. And I can just hear the disciples faintly in the boat looking up at Jesus and saying, Oh, that's different. Right? I mean, maybe Jesus had trained them in the Ten Commandments of mission trips. But, oh, that's different. What are we doing here? Uh, What is going on in this scene? Whatever we can or cannot understand. Let's just try to to kind of uh, explain this a little bit, but whatever we can or cannot understand about demon possession. Now, to be honest, uh, one commentator I read this week said, but 2,000 years haven't given us a whole lot more insight into exactly what was going on. And there would be some who would just say, well, he was possessed by a demon. Others would say, well, maybe it's some mental issues or maybe just some, some obsession of some kind that, that was maybe referred to that. But, but what we can say with certainty is that there was some sort of force, some sort of malevolent or evil force that seems to have had this man in his grips. And Jesus had come to free him and release him of that grip. Isolated, self-destructive, a danger to society. They had tried to lock him up, right? But they couldn't. He just kept breaking free And so they had banished him, and notice where they banished him, to the tombs. They had banished him to a life among the dead. And I can hear Jesus just kind of looking back at the disciples as he sees this wild man running his way and just whispering, just go with the flow, boys. Right? Just go with the flow. Just follow my lead. And everything's going to be all right. Oh, that's interesting. And indeed, as Jesus went with the flow, we read in this story, this mission trip results in the deliverance of this man from the evil forces. He's released from the grip of the enemy. He's released from this bondage that had kept him uh, from becoming and, and being all that God had created him to be. He he was restored, we read later in the story. He'd been restored to wholeness. Jesus had given him back to his community. He'd given him back to his family. He'd given him his life back. This man literally had a whole new life, a whole new future, a whole new possibility because he'd come in contact with the healing touch of Jesus. Again, N.T. Wright, the writer of the Bible study that we've been using in our growth groups, he says this, he says, Wherever humans are in pain today, and he says, in other words, in every community of the world, and I would simply add right here in this church building this morning, wherever wherever humans are in pain today, the gentle healing message of Jesus needs to be applied, identifying with those in pain to bring God's healing where it's needed. And I just, I just want to pause here for a moment just to simply say, perhaps that's you right now. And I, I don't 
necessarily know if that might apply to somebody, but I just kind of have the feeling that it might. Perhaps on the outside, everything seems like it's okay. Everything is looking like it's fine. But inside, your life's out of control. There's discouragement. There's despair. There's even a sense of being controlled or gripped by an evil or by a power that you just can't get your mind around and you just can't seem to get over. Well, the healing touch that was available to this man in uh, the land of the Gerasenes, the region of the Gerasenes, is available to us, each one. I pray that we would just hear it and receive the liberating Word and power of Jesus today. Many of us will, will connect the specific details of this story to our own situation. We'll see ourselves as that man. We'll also recognize, though, another level, another layer to this story that I, I'm sure Mark had in mind. Because within this story, you can't help but uh, acknowledge and help but see a, a certain paradigm or a certain pattern for all those who would seek to follow Jesus in participating in God's redemptive mission in the world. It's almost as if embedded in this narrative, if we'll look carefully, almost embedded within this narrative are implications for our own participation within God's mission, uh, both as individuals and as a church. It's as if Mark is wanting to say to his readers as he collects this story and shares it with us that this is not only about what Jesus can do for you, but it's about what you can do for others as you follow the pattern and the paradigm that is set by Jesus here as we participate in God's mission in the world. It's as if Mark's saying, your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to enter, as did Jesus, into the darkness and into the discouragement that are experienced by so many all around us with the transforming light and hope of Christ. Now, thankfully, this message did not, you know, self-destruct in five seconds. We have it today. And we have some great patterns, some great paradigms, some great themes that can guide us as we think ourselves individually, as we think about as a church, the kind of mission that we're to live out. Just a few ideas here for us. The story reveals that to be in mission with God is simply to go to all people everywhere. The mission of God is about going to all people everywhere. I think I have that. Yeah, it's for all people. It's, it's everywhere. I mean, the passage of Scripture just right there in verse 1, I, I think I, I have it here. It just simply says, uh, maybe that, yeah, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. I said earlier that I'm not sure what Jesus said to the disciples about why they were going to the other side of the lake, maybe for a picnic or something like that. I think I know exactly why Jesus was going to this side, because it was an opportunity for him to extend the mission that God had given to him. For now, he was leaving the territory along the Sea of Galilee where it was Jewish territory, where he would have been somewhat received, although he wasn't received very well. And now he was leaving that site and landing right into this region of Gentile people, non-Jewish folks in this part of the world. We know that because they had pigs, and uh, Jewish folks wouldn't have had pigs, impure, unclean. 
But we know that these folks did. And their action demonstrates Jesus' action. And going into this scene, into this place in the, it, at all, it demonstrates that his mission is not to be restricted just to a few. His mission is not to be restricted just to those who might be accepting or receptive of this. But his mission is to extend into the places where, that are different, where there's different culture, where there's different language, where there's different approaches to life. Jesus' action demonstrates that even to those considered outsiders, he goes and he goes and he goes. And he sets the pattern that we are to do the same, my friends. This is why um, we go to other lands. This is why we go to other cultures. But this is also why we drive across town. This is why we walk across the street. This is why we go to those who maybe don't look like us or talk like us or have the same cultures or the same customs or the same approaches to life, the same socioeconomic status, perhaps. The story shows that the demons are not particular in who they torment. It doesn't matter. Jew, Gentile. The story reminds us that the demons still are not particular in who they torment. And we must be just as diligent <laughs> just as diligent as the demons to take the hope of salvation to all people everywhere. The story also reveals that to be in mission with God is to bring restoration to the broken. To be in mission with God is to be people who bring restoration in the way we live, in the way we speak, in the way we act, to bring restoration to the broken. Not only will... God's people generally be extending the reach of the gospel, going to this place and to that, but we will specifically, following Jesus' paradigm, we will specifically be moving toward opportunities to minister to and among the poor and the oppressed and the hurting. I just can't get over this man. He'd been cast out of the community of his own people cast to the land of the dead. He was an outcast. He was a danger. He was an embarrassment. You know what he was? He was a statistic. Let's just eliminate him and make him a statistic. And yet when he approaches Jesus, possessed by a demon, screaming, yelling, challenging, Jesus doesn't walk away. Go with the flow, boys. Jesus doesn't walk away. Jesus doesn't pass him by, instead looking for the good-looking Gentiles. Jesus doesn't walk past this one and say, you know, I'm just getting started here with the Gentiles. I think it'd be better if I found somebody who might have some influence. Where's the mayor of this town, of this region? Is there somebody important that I can speak to? And that's so much the practice in my own life. To look back and look past, looking for someone maybe of influence or the good looking that we might be able to bring the news of Jesus to. Jesus doesn't do that. He engages him. He discerns the presence of sin and evil and brokenness, right? And delivers him from that to wholeness and health. I just can tell you that the more people I get to know in our city, and um, whether it's through sports or school or 
the neighborhood or some of your friends or people that I get to know through a variety of different means and, and ways. The more family dynamics I become aware of and the personal stories that I become familiar with, the more brokenness there is that I discover. There, friends, you know this because you are this. We are this. That there is no shortage of cases of human wreckage, much like this one, all around us, if we will just take the time to scratch the surface of people's lives in relationship and in interaction, if we'll take a moment to engage them, to hear their story, to discern where the sin or the evil, where the grip of the enemy has gotten hold of their lives, who knows what opportunities we may discover to speak words of hope and healing. So I just ask you the question, like I ask it myself every day, who am I walking by? Who am I walking right by? In my, in my looking for someone of more influence, perhaps. Who am I walking by every day? What brokenness in my immediate surroundings, think about this, what brokenness in my immediate surroundings have I grown so accustomed to and so immune to almost that I've forgotten to think about the fact that maybe Jesus wants to touch that brokenness. And he might even want to use me in some way to bring that about. Oh God, give us fresh eyes today to see and to move towards the brokenness with your restoring power. The story also reveals that to be in mission with God is to disturb the social and economic status quo. There are lots of theories, and, and maybe as I was reading about the, the pigs, right? The, the, the demons say, cast us in the pigs, and then they run off the cliff. And I mean, there's lots of Theories, lots of ideas, lots of biblical expositors have said, oh yeah, they're going demons into the pigs and into the water, and this is what this means, this is what that means. And in the end, I've read several of them, and they all have different ideas, which leads me to think that perhaps we really don't quite know for sure what's going on with the demons wanting to get into the pigs, and then the pigs jumping off into the lake and drowning in the sea. You might know for sure, and if you do, God bless you. Um, what we can know for sure is this. What we can know for sure is this, that this event had perhaps an even bigger impact on the people in the community than did the healing of the man. And we all ought to say, what's up with that? And it speaks immeasurably, I think, as I read this passage, to the nature of man and to our values in the world. Because now, uh, you know, they acknowledge, well, there's the man. He's sitting right there. He looks like he's doing pretty good. Well, okay, good stuff. Oh, what about our pigs? I mean, did you kind of notice that? And that's really nice what he did for this guy, but thought what he did to our pigs and the pig owners and the pig herders and the economy you know, the people are like don't mess with our economy Jesus I'll refrain from making any political comments at this moment I hope you will as well but I mean we know what I mean it was I think it was Clinton's comment many years ago it's the economy stupid right I mean that's what it's all about in the United States anyway that's what gets people elected typically 
or at least it plays a huge part in it. And these folks are witnessing to the effect that, that Jesus' work was affecting the bottom line, the financial bottom line, and that was what was most disturbing or distracting to them. We know we are in unison with those pig herders. Don't mess with our economy. And we're told that the people ultimately, I, I hope you read it there, they, they ultimately begin to plead with Jesus to leave their region. I mean, this is, this is amazing. The irony of this situation. He's come into their land. He's healed one of their greatest threats and dangers. But He also disturbed their economy. And so they plead with Him to leave the region. Get out of here before you make anything worse. Worse? What else might this guy do unless we run him out of town? The sad truth is that often people would rather have the status quo than have restoration and healing. As long as our lives are working at some level, even if they're not really working, you know what I'm saying? But if they're working at some level, then just don't mess up the works. But Jesus approaches things differently. Jesus says, I don't care how it's always been done as long as there are lives that are in bondage to sin and to the devil, as long as there are those suffering from isolation and from despair, there is nothing that is off limits, no institution, no tradition, no practice, no economy that I won't challenge in order to bring life and health and wholeness to my people. Why are young girls my daughter's age sold into sexual slavery all around the world? And more and more, even in the United States. Read an article this week about sexual slavery even in the United States. More and more. Thousands of young girls, even my daughter's age, trafficked across the world. Why are so many people denied access to clean drinking water as we've been hearing about with Team World Vision? Why will so many children go hungry tonight? Sadly, one of the contributing factors is that too many of us like the status quo. And the mission of God that Jesus models for us and invites us to participate with Him in is all about disturbing and disrupting the social and even economic status quo. Last one. The story reveals that God's mission is open for all to join. <laughs> the man, let's read this passage. I think I have this little section here just to remind you of it. Jesus did not let him. The guy had asked him, can I, you know, look at me. I'm not bloody and screaming at you anymore. Do you think I could come along? And Jesus says, Jesus did not let him. And, and in that moment, I can imagine, you know, just his whole countenance just kind of dropping. I don't, mine would have, right? Really? But Jesus has something maybe even more significant. He says, go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. So the man did it. He went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Catch this just little interesting biblical piece. Leave that up there for a second. Jesus told him to say 
how much the Lord had done for him. And he went out and told everybody how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus is Lord. And all the people were amazed. Uh, it's, it's open to all. Jesus seems to recognize that this man will have a unique opportunity to share a word, to go back and to join him in mission. Not with him where he's going, but to join him on, on location in a sense, in his own location. To join with him and to partner with him in mission as he reaches to his own family and friends. You remember that in, in many places within the, the Jewish world, Jesus had been saying in the Gospel of Mark to this point, and he'll continue to say, shh, don't tell anybody what I've done for you, right? Don't tell anybody. It, it needs to, needs to kind of bubble up here for these folks. But in this Gentile world, he says, tell as many folks as you possibly can. Get the word out. And don't just tell them something. Tell them what the Lord has done for you and the mercy that He has shown to you. And you can kind of sense the guy's countenance changing a little bit from this, really, I can't go with you, to been commissioned by the Lord Himself to go back to where I came from, now an entirely different person, and to share that message of hope so many that I long to see experience it just the same way that I have experienced. Without a doubt, this is our invitation as well. There is something special about being with Jesus. No doubt about it. And Jesus even talked about that with his disciples. And that's our call as disciples, to be with Jesus. we got to be with Jesus, but there's something beautiful about being sent back to where we came from. Renewed, changed transformed, sharing our lives, sharing our journeys, sharing the mercy that God has given to us, sharing the grace and love, the the transformation that God's brought into our lives and the hope that He has helped us to find. You don't have to have a certain gift for this. You don't have to have a certain ability. You don't have to be able to speak in a certain way or to look a certain way to be in and on mission with Jesus. He simply says, go back to those who knew you before, knew what you were like then, and show them what you are now and tell them how you got that way. It's a pretty simple process, my friends. This is how I was. Look, you knew me, but look what Jesus has done for me now. Are you interested in maybe being a part of that as well? To all people everywhere, restoration for the broken, disturbing the status quo, sharing our story. It's what Jesus is showing us. It means to be in mission with God. At the end of this chapter, or actually at the very beginning of the next one, I think it is, the, uh, the Word says, and they got back in the boat and went back to the other side. And, and it was as if this one day short term missions trip, I, I, I just, I want to know what the conversation was like on the boat ride back. I, I want to know the disciple, what the disciples, Jesus, that was interesting. Remember when I told you to go with the flow? Yeah. See what happened? Yeah. Jesus, you, you did some amazing things right there. What, 
What are we supposed to, what's going on? Well, yeah, pay attention. Peter, you might want to mention this to Mark someday. No. <laughs> pay, pay attention to what I was just doing. Because there's going to come a time when I'm not around. And you're going to need to do the same kind of thing. Because this mission that God has given to me is really for us. And when I'm gone, I'm going to need you to keep it going. We don't have to go to Guatemala. We don't even have to go to Sudan. We can start right here and right now. Just close your eyes with me, would you? God, I, uh, I want to first of all just thank you for your word today, for the power of this story that maybe many in this room have heard lots of times. And they've even studied it and worked through it several times. I want to thank you for making it fresh in my own heart this, life, or this week, and I, I pray that you've made it fresh in the hearts and lives of, of everybody here, really. And, and God, I, I want to thank you on, on one very, very significant level for the, for the amazing demonstration we see in the story of Jesus' healing touch. And really throughout this section, just... The, the demonstration of Jesus' authority over anything that this world might throw at him. Sickness, natural disease, natural disorders, demon possession, nothing could slow him down. And, and my awareness is, even as we prayed for Rudy earlier here this morning, and, and my, my awareness is that across this room there are people who are hurting the, the reality, the statistics tell us, the, the ratios for sure, that there are a good number of folks here who are just hurting for one reason or another. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's something emotional, maybe there's someone like this man who at some level is just feeling like they're in the grip of the enemy. And they're living in a way, maybe they're even living in some, some, some state of just rebellion even right now that, that they just know is not right, but they... They, they can't quite break through, and there's just this grip on their lives, Jesus. If we're not there, we all know that we've maybe been there at some point before. But Jesus, for those who are there, I pray even right now, God, that they would hear and receive the liberating touch of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, set us free. And may we reach out and receive the liberating power that you offer. May we be healed of those afflictions. May we be restored and renewed, strengthened by the presence of your Holy Spirit so that we might live for you. So that we might be in mission with you. Thank you for the pattern that you've set for us. Thank you for the calling that you've given to us, the invitation really to participate in God's redeeming mission in the world, to extend ourselves, to notice the broken, oh God, to be ready to disturb and disrupt if that's what it takes, to respond to the call that you're placing on each of our lives. God, we thank you. And we look even now 
to Jesus for leadership, for wholeness, for life. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, can we? And um, our worship team is going to lead us in a simple little chorus. We're just going to sing it a few times. It's short, it's brief, but it's powerful. And I pray that as we sing this, you would truly turn your eyes upon Jesus. And that if he's talking to you even now about something and some way that you need to respond to him, some, some openness that you need to create for his healing touch to really reach deep into the core of your life, if he's talking to you about some missional activity that you've been setting aside and putting off, and just look to him. Listen to him. And don't leave this place without responding to him in obedience.